Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff, and this is my podcast that's mostly for parents of children who are being treated for cancer or leukemia, but I think it's also of interest to some other people involved in the whole thing. And today I want to talk about platelet transfusions. Platelet transfusions. We use a lot of platelet transfusions in an oncology unit, and so I just want to discuss what it's all about. Now, there was an earlier episode that I did on blood transfusions. That's the red blood cell transfusions. Now, that had some useful information in it that's sort of of a more general nature. So you might want to listen to that one too. But anyway, today it's specifically about platelet transfusions. First off, let me remind you about platelets. Platelets are these tiny little things in our bloodstream that make our blood clot. Now I say they're tiny little things because they're not really even complete cells anymore. There's this cell in the bone marrow called a megakaryocyte. And the megakaryocyte pumps out these tiny little fragments of itself and they're called platelets. So if you look at a microscope slide of some blood, you'll see gazillions of red blood cells. You'll see plenty of white blood cells. And then you'll see these tiny little things next to the other cells, and they're the platelets. So platelets are made in the bone marrow, just like the other blood cells, and they circulate in the bloodstream. And through a very complex and elaborate process, well, when there's a cut or a bleeding anywhere, well, the platelets rush into that area, and they get activated and sticky, and then they form a blood clot. There's these chemicals in the bloodstream, chemicals, not cells, called clotting factors. Well, the clotting factors and the platelets, they all get together, they make a blood clot, and then that stops any further bleeding from occurring. And then when everything's settled down, your body has a way to slowly dissolve the blood clot and get rid of it. So that's what platelets do. Now, why are we talking about platelets when we're talking about childhood cancer? The reason for that is that we often see low platelet counts in patients who are being treated for cancer or leukaemia. Most of the time, we're seeing this low platelet count as a side effect of the chemotherapy that we're giving. When we give chemotherapy drugs to a patient, very often they're drugs that damage the bone marrow temporarily. And so if we give chemotherapy on, say, day one... Well, on day 7 or 10 or 12, something like that, we'll see the blood counts drop. We'll see the white blood cell count drop. We'll see the red blood cell count drop. And we'll see this thing called the platelet count drop. So the platelet count will go down, and then the bone marrow will recover from the chemotherapy, start making platelets again, and then the platelet count will increase again and probably go back up into the normal range of what a platelet count should be and then we'll probably give chemotherapy again and then it'll drop again and then it will recover again. And this process goes on and on as we treat leukemia and cancer with platelet counts dropping and then recovering and so on. Most of the time when we're treating 
uh, solid tumours and brain tumours with chemotherapy, it sort of works on about a two or three week cycle. So if you give the chemotherapy drugs, then the blood counts will drop and then they'll recover in time to give the chemotherapy again at two or three weeks later. The other reason we see low platelet counts is in patients with leukaemia who have a malignancy that's actually in the bone marrow. So here the cancer itself is messing up the bone marrow function and so the bone marrow doesn't make the normal blood cells properly anymore. And so very often when we first diagnose leukaemia, well, the patients have a low platelet count and that's because of the leukaemia. Once we get the patient into remission and we can't see the leukaemia anymore in the bone marrow, well, we're still going to get problems with low platelet counts, but this time it'll be because the chemotherapy is causing a side effect and causing the platelet count to go low. So most of the time we're seeing low platelet counts as a side effect of our treatment, but we also see it from leukaemia itself. Next thing I want to talk about is how do we make a platelet transfusion? Platelet transfusions are made by the blood bank. When people go and donate blood, they have a needle stuck in their vein and then the standard amount of blood is drained from their vein and into a bag and then that's it for the blood donor. And by the way, three cheers for the blood donor. The blood donor's giving up their time, putting up with a bit of inconvenience, putting up with a needle being stuck in their arm, all to do some good for mankind. So three cheers for the blood donor. Let's all be very grateful to blood donors. And if we know any blood donors, let's tell them, well done. Now, parents, I don't mean to say I want you to go out and be blood donors this week. You've got to look after yourselves. You've got to look after your kid. Don't get obsessed with being a blood donor for now. Now, in years to come, maybe it'll be something you choose to do. But for now, leave it alone. Look after yourself. Look after your child. Anyway, that bag of blood is taken to the blood bank for processing. In the blood bank, they can separate the blood into different components. So they can centrifuge it or spin it or do whatever they do to take off the plasma component. So that's the the liquid stuff that surrounds the blood cells. So they can take off that plasma and then they can do with the plasma whatever they want to do. Often they'll freeze it and they'll have a product called fresh frozen plasma. And that's full of those clotting factor chemicals. So we sometimes have to give patients fresh frozen plasma. Patients with liver failure, you know, people with diseases of the liver, nothing to do with cancer and leukemia, they might have an abnormality of blood clotting. Well, fresh frozen plasma can be a good thing to use. And we use it in cancer and leukemia therapy too sometimes. But I digress. The red blood cells can be separated and put in a bag that now just contain red blood cells and a little bit of liquid. So they're called packed cells or packed red blood cells. That's what we're normally using when we do a red blood cell transfusion. We're not giving whole blood. We're normally just giving the packed cells or packed red blood cells. And the other thing that the blood bank can extract and sort of separate into a separate component is the platelet fraction. So they can get the platelets out of that bag of blood that the person's donated, put it in a bag, and there it is, a platelet transfusion. And it's a liquidy stuff, and it's a sort of yellowy colour, opaque sort of yellowy coloured stuff. 
and that's what you call a platelet transfusion. Now the next thing to say is that blood banks have different ways of preparing these platelet transfusions. Now in some settings they would take say four patients blood donations and they'd get the platelets from all of them and mix them all up together and that would form what they would call one unit of platelets. So in that system, one unit of platelets might represent the platelets that were donated by four different individuals to get a a good sort of bag of platelets together. In some other units, they keep the platelets separate. So each individual's platelet donation is in one separate bag. And so it might be that if you want to give someone a platelet transfusion, you give them four bags of platelets. And there, one unit might correspond to the platelets that were donated by one individual. And so there's different terminology and different systems that are used. So when people say they had one unit of platelets or four units of platelets, you have to understand what system they're talking about. But whatever the system is, the blood bank can prepare these platelets and they will need to be ordered according to what blood group the patient is. Some blood groups are okay with certain other blood groups. Some are completely incompatible with each other. It all depends on the particular situation. But one thing to say about platelet transfusion bags is that these platelets, they don't have as long a lifespan on the shelf as red blood cells. Platelets are just a bit more fragile as a product once they're out of the body. And platelets have a shorter lifespan in the body too, by the way. But the bag of platelets won't last quite as long. And so this creates a problem, you know, at times of uh, prolonged holidays, like the Christmas holidays. If you look at a couple of days of public holidays and then you look at a couple of days of a weekend and you end up with a four-day break, for instance, well, if you have a period of time there where people just aren't donating blood, right? A lot of people donate blood when they're at work. They go off in their lunch break and they donate their blood. Well, during these long holidays, you tend to have less people donating blood. And therefore, that means the blood bank ends up with less platelet transfusion bags that are available. And so this can lead to a bit more pressure being put on the platelet supply in a given city at such times. And then all it takes is some major requirement for platelets of a certain group, for instance. You know, someone having a huge, great liver transplant or some other particular need for a certain platelet group, and it can really put pressure on a blood bank. Another thing to say is that not every district hospital will routinely have platelets available, ready to go for patients. Often a district blood bank might have red blood cells available to cover a certain sort of level of demand that might crop up if there's a car accident or some urgent surgery or something. But how much they'll routinely have platelets in stock is another question. So platelet transfusions sometimes need to be ordered in advance for a district hospital. It might be they need to be told, look, we expect this patient might need platelets next week. You might want to plan on ordering them or keep it in mind or something like that. So platelets are a bit more of a fiddly product to work with and to plan to give, etc. Having said that, in the big hospitals and in the big urban centres, 
normally we have pretty good access to getting hold of platelets when we need them. But all of these complexities serve to highlight how we really do need to be responsible in our use of blood products. Remember these individuals have taken it upon themselves to donate their blood, to put themselves out, to have a needle in their vein, maybe to feel a bit blur for a few hours. They're doing some good for the world and they're relying on us all to be responsible in our use of their blood. In addition, there's all these complexities to do with preparing platelets and providing platelets and so we really have to be very responsible in our use of platelet products. Okay, now I want to talk about when we might give a platelet transfusion. First thing to know is that a normal platelet count is somewhere between about 150 and 450. Or, depending on your units, you might say between 150,000 and 450,000. But let's keep it simple. Let's say a platelet count is normally about 150 to 450. And that's plenty of platelets, by the way, to avoid major problems occurring spontaneously with bleeding. When we give chemotherapy, and if it's a chemotherapy that damages the bone marrow, then we'll often see the platelet count drop. And it might drop below 100, or it might drop down to 80, or to 70. Now, most of the time, platelet counts around that level don't cause any particular problems. So we don't tend to see spontaneous bleeding occurring or serious spontaneous bleeding occurring just when the platelet count drops a bit below normal. So a platelet count that's dropped from 150 down to 100 or to 90 or to 80 or 70, most of the time that's still enough platelets to avoid any particular problem from occurring. Now as the platelet count gets lower still, so now we're thinking, I don't know, 60, 50, 40, well then we might start to see that the child develops more bruises. So we may see some easy bruising. So when the kid bangs his leg on the door getting out of the car or something, they might be more prone to a severe bruise. Or we might see some spontaneous bruising. And sometimes you can see these little tiny sort of micro bruises. They're called purpura. P-U-R-P-U-R-A. Purpura. They're these tiny little spot-like bruises that can occur in people with a low platelet count. So as the platelet count goes lower, then we're more likely to see a bit more bruising and these purpura things happening. But we wouldn't normally think to give a platelet transfusion just to respond to a bit of easy bruising. These bruises that might occur, well, most of the time they're unlikely to be particularly dangerous. Now, no one likes having bruises. Bruises can feel a bit tender. They can be a bit unsightly. They can take weeks and weeks and months to really sort of fade away, etc. But bruises don't tend to be dangerous things. You know, I'm talking about bruises in the skin on your arms and your legs and those sorts of bruises. They would not normally be sufficient reason to give a platelet transfusion, unless you had some huge massive bruise or in a particularly small baby where they could lose a decent amount of blood into a big huge bruise. Then you might give platelets for bruising, but most of the time you wouldn't. Okay, now depending on how strong the chemotherapy was, 
the platelet count might go even lower still. So for some of the less strong chemotherapy drugs, it might be the platelet count just drops down to 100 or to 80 and then it recovers. And that patient may never even be considered for a platelet transfusion. But as we give stronger and stronger drugs, particularly for the more and more serious malignancies, then we can see the platelet count dropping lower and lower still. So now not just down to 50 or 40, but think it's dropping down to 30 or to 20 or to 10 or to 5, you know, really severe levels of low platelet count. Well, as the platelet count gets into those really severely low levels, then the risk of more significant forms of bleeding develops. For instance, patients who are prone to getting a bleeding nose, a nosebleed, epistaxis, that's the medical term, epistaxis. Patients who are prone to nosebleeds, well, if they get a nosebleed with a platelet count that is low, and in fact, even at a platelet count of around, say, 50, for instance, a nosebleed could be a particular problem. So a nosebleed with a platelet count that's very low can be a real problem, can be a medical emergency because it just won't stop. So nosebleed with low platelet count, that's a big problem. And there are other forms of bleeding that might occur. Some patients get a bit of bleeding from their gums, for instance, when the platelet count goes very low, particularly if they've got chemotherapy that causes mouth ulcers as well. Well, all of these things can add up together and get a bit of bleeding from the gums. Now that may be a problem, but it may be perfectly manageable without a platelet transfusion if it's only a sort of very minor amount of bleeding that's occurring. What we really want to know is what's the risk of some form of serious bleeding occurring during this low platelet count? Now I've mentioned nosebleeds, but the big one that everyone's going to worry about is, well, what about some sort of bleeding episode in the brain because the platelet count was low. That's the big one. In fact, an awful lot of this consideration of giving platelet transfusions during periods of low platelet counts is driven by that particular concern, the risk of bleeding into the brain due to the low platelet count. First thing to say is that it doesn't actually happen very often. Yes, it can occur. I have seen and heard of it happening. But for all the patients that we see with low platelet counts, I have to say that spontaneous bleeding into the brain from a low platelet count is not something that we see very often at all. Now that's in the uncomplicated situation of just a low platelet count. Now things are different, of course, if a patient has had recent major brain surgery, for instance. Well, in that situation, we might not want the platelet count to go low, and so we might give platelet transfusions earlier than usual. Or patients who have a big brain tumour, that's something that could bleed. Or patients having surgery for some other reason, well, that would be a problem. Or patients who have a blood clotting abnormality as well, you know, a deficiency in those clotting factors. Or patients with severe hypertension, you know, there's a whole lot of other things that could put you at risk of bleeding into the brain. But most of the time, if it's just a simple case of low platelet counts, I have to say that bleeding into the brain is a rare event. 
it's not something we see very often at all. Having said that, it can, of course, be a very bad thing to happen. So if it's only an occasional event, but it's a very bad thing if it does happen, well, we need to be thinking about it, and we definitely are. So I want to talk about now the two different sort of philosophies that are employed when we consider whether to give platelet transfusions. And in particular, I'm first off going to talk about that patient who is otherwise well. Now, they're being treated for cancer. I get that. They're not otherwise perfectly well. But I'm talking about the patient who is without fever, without infections, without a history of bleeding episodes, without a big brain tumour or recent major surgery of any sort, and with a normal blood pressure, let's say. So someone who doesn't have particular risk factors for a bleeding episode. There are two basic sort of philosophies for how to decide whether to give platelet transfusions. The first one is to say, look, let's plan to give platelet transfusions if the platelet count drops below a certain number. And the certain number might vary from unit to unit. It might be that they say, look, if the platelet count drops below 20, that's 20,000, but say 20, then we will plan to give platelet transfusions. Or some units might say, well, if the platelet count drops below 10, then we'll give a platelet transfusion. So this is a system where you have a what we call a cut-off value, and we plan to give a platelet transfusion if the platelet count drops below that number. And this is a strategy that some units employ. And some units have a different number, by the way, depending on the disease. So there's some reason to think that the risk of these things is going to be higher in patients treated for leukaemia compared to patients treated for, say, sarcomas. So they may have a level that's higher for leukaemia. So they might say, if it drops below 20, we'll give a platelet transfusion. But in the solid tumours, they might have a lower level. They might say, well, it has to drop below 10 or 15 or something like that. So that's the first strategy. Have a sort of magic number, platelet count below that, then we give a platelet transfusion. The second strategy in these patients who are otherwise well, like I said, is to say, look, we'll only give platelet transfusions if there's evidence of bleeding. So if the patient develops a nosebleed or bleeding gums or bleeding somewhere, bleeding in their bowel actions or bleeding in the urine, if we see bleeding, then we'll give a platelet transfusion. And this is a strategy that many units have. And again, they may have a strategy that's different for leukemia compared to others. So they may say, well, below 20, we'll give platelets in leukemia, but in the solid tumour patients, we'll only give them if there's a bleeding episode. Brain tumours are different, of course. I'll come back to brain tumours. So they're the two sort of major strategies that different units have for the patient who is otherwise not at particular risk of a bleeding episode. That, that is to give platelets if the count drops below a certain level or to give platelets only if there's bleeding. Now, there's advantages and disadvantages to the two. And quite frankly, I don't think there's any data out there to prove that you should go with one system or another. 
if you give platelets only when there's bleeding, well, you're going to have to give platelets in the middle of the night more often. You're going to have to give platelets in unplanned fashion more often. You may not always have the platelets you want immediately available in your blood bank, and so you may need to be ordering in platelets in the middle of the night because someone has a bleeding episode. And, of course, they have the trauma of having this episode of bleeding. On the other hand, if you look at the total number of units of platelets given to your group of patients, it's quite possible you would find that you ended up using less platelets with this system. On the other hand, if you give platelets because the level drops below 20 or below 10, well, most of the time you can plan ahead and predict when the patient's platelet count might be that low. You can order in the platelets well ahead of time and you can have them there. You can give them in daylight hours. You can avoid the bleeding episode potentially. But it does mean that you end up having to check the blood counts just in case it does drop below that level. And you're probably going to end up giving more platelet transfusions with this system than if you only give them to patients who bleed. See, there are patients who have platelet counts that drop below 20 or below 10 or down to 5, and they just don't have any bleeding problems. These patients exist. They're just sort of lucky, I guess. So those patients would avoid getting a platelet transfusion if you only give platelets when there's bleeding. But like I said, you'll end up giving certain other patients platelets in the middle of the night in unplanned fashion, and they will have had their bleeding episode. And hopefully the bleeding episode won't have been a more severe one. And it's not my proposal here to tell you what the right answer is. I think you really need to just be aware of the different strategies and different philosophies and then talk to your particular medical team and see, well, how do they run with things? I mean, there are certain practicalities here. If it's difficult to get platelets in a particular area, well, that might be a reason to try to plan ahead and be planning to give platelets. There's all sorts of practical issues at hand that need to be considered. Next, I want to mention some situations where we might want to keep the platelet count higher than usual. So remember, I was just saying we might want to keep the platelet count above 10 or above 20, or we might just give platelets if there's bleeding or something. Well, I just want to describe a few particular situations where we might try to keep the platelet count higher than in the run-of-the-mill situation. So the first one I've mentioned is the patient with a brain tumour. So patients with brain tumours are at somewhat higher risk of bleeding, particularly if there's you know, a big brain tumour present and the blood vessels of brain tumours can be a bit screwed up and that can be a risk factor for bleeding. Or the patient who's had recent brain surgery to take out a brain tumour, well, likewise, they can be at higher risk of bleeding if the platelet counts are low And so in certain patients being treated for brain tumours, well, we'll try to keep the platelet count a bit higher than we would for patients with tumours elsewhere in the body. Next are those patients who have a fever. Having a high fever is a risk factor for bleeding. And that might be something that makes you more likely to give a platelet transfusion than you normally would. Leukaemia that's not in remission, that's a risk factor. That might be a reason to give platelets earlier. If the patient has some other problem with their blood clotting, 
So remember there's chemicals in the blood and there's the platelets and the two work together. Well, if the chemicals, the clotting factors are deficient for some reason, so a patient with liver disease, for instance, or haemophilia or some clotting problem, that might be a patient where we want to give platelets where we otherwise might not. Patients who are due to undergo surgery, of course, well, these are patients where we may need to keep the platelet count higher. Now, ideally, you plan to do the surgery when the platelet count is recovered, but if you have to do some sort of urgent surgery for some reason, well, you may need to give platelets. And depending on the nature of the surgery, you might say, look, we want the platelet count to be at least 50,000. Or if it was bigger surgery, you might want it even higher still. Oftentimes, we send the platelets to the operating room or the operating theatre and let the anaesthetic doctors give the platelets right at the time of surgery. So the platelets are running around the bloodstream right at the time you need them. Another one is when we're doing a lumbar puncture for leukemia to do a, you know, when we do a spinal tap and inject chemotherapy into the spinal fluid, well, sometimes we might give platelets to make sure it's safe to do that lumbar puncture. And of course, patients who have a past history of bleeding episodes when the platelet count got low, well, there we might likewise plan to give platelets more often than we might usually have done. Particularly a patient who gets nosebleeds all the time, well, we might say, look, guys, we're going to have to try to keep the platelet count higher in this patient. So there's some special situations where we tend to give platelets sooner than we might normally have done. Next, let me talk about the process of giving platelet transfusions. Well, there's not a great deal of magic to it. It's a case of ordering the platelets from the blood bank and all the usual paperwork comes with them, very strict paperwork with blood banks. They always have to check that the right bag of platelets has been given to the right patient because you don't want to give someone something of the wrong blood group. Believe me, that's a disaster. So there'll be all sorts of rigorous paperwork and then basically we hook up the bag of platelets to the drip and drip them in and often we drip platelets in over about one hour. Remember we give the red blood cell transfusions often over about three or four hours per bag of blood. So a blood transfusion tends to be a big long all day thing, some hours. Platelet transfusions are normally given over a shorter period of time, firstly because it's a smaller volume of fluid that you're giving and secondly because Platelet survival, once they're out of the blood bank and so on, isn't that good. So you want to sort of get them into the patient and up to body temperature and, and circulating, and that's a better way to do things. Now, once you give a platelet transfusion, well, then the platelet count will normally go up. If the platelet count was, say, 10 when you gave the platelet transfusion, well, often if you check it the next morning, you'll find it's higher, it's 60 or 70 or 100 depends how big the child is and how big the platelet transfusion was but normally it's enough to get the platelet count up and oftentimes enough to stop any sort of minor levels of bleeding that might have been occurring and we'll usually see the platelet count well above whatever cutoff level you might have had for giving platelet transfusions. Problem is platelet transfusions don't last as long as red blood cell transfusions. See, platelets don't have a very long lifespan in the bloodstream. It's only about 24 hours or something, whereas red blood cells last 120 days. So if you give a platelet transfusion, normally it's enough to get the platelet count up and then keep the platelet count up in a nice sort of range for about three days. 
After that, the transfused platelets normally have sort of disappeared. So at that point, normally it's either a situation of the patient has recovered their bone marrow and they start making their own platelets, or else you might end up having to give a platelet transfusion again. So if the blood counts are really hammered by chemotherapy, like really strong chemotherapy, you might end up giving platelets on one day and then having to give them again a few days later. And in bone marrow transplants, you end up giving them a few days later and a few days later and a few days later until the new bone marrow starts working. So that's the problem with platelet transfusions. They only last for about two or three days, depending on the individual patient and the size of the transfusion. And then hopefully they recover their own platelet production, but oftentimes you end up having to give another platelet transfusion. Anyway, why are we agonising so much over whether to give a platelet transfusion? Why don't we just give them to everyone and keep the platelet count up above 50 or 100 or something? Okay, so first off, remember what I said. We've got to be responsible with blood donations. Firstly, because these people have donated their blood in good faith. Secondly, because platelets tend to be a limited resource. We... Blood banks often have pressure on them for platelet supplies, particularly during prolonged holidays and things like that. So if we're irresponsible with platelet use and just throw them around like lolly water, we can end up not having platelets available for the patient who really needs them all of a sudden. So there are two good reasons not to just give platelets to everyone. But from the patient's point of view, let's think about the bad things about having a platelet transfusion. Now, most of the time, when we give a platelet transfusion, it's a pretty uneventful thing. Parents are normally pretty freaked out by it the first time, and maybe the second time. No one wants to see their kid having to have transfusions of anything. I mean, the whole thing's a big ordeal. I get that. But, you know, there's something about transfusions that tends to freak parents out the first time and the second time, and I totally get that. Having said that, normally, it's a pretty uneventful process. Hook up the bag of platelets drip them in. Not much happens. Now, as you give more and more platelets to an individual patient, some things can start to happen. Remember, when they get a platelet transfusion, they're often getting platelets from more than one individual. So they may be getting platelets derived from four different individuals, and they may get them again three days later, and three days later. So if you're getting a lot of platelets, you're getting exposed to a lot of platelet donors well, one of the things that can happen is that patients start to develop a bit of an immune reaction in their own body against other people's platelets. Or it might be against the white cells that are in the bag with the platelets. But anyway, they can develop this sort of immune reaction against the platelets. And that can lead to a couple of things. One is that patients can have fevers during the platelet transfusion or other reactions. Some patients can end up having these sort of allergic reactions when they have platelets, and they can be severe. And so if we start to see patients who get fevers and rashes and wheezing and things like that with a platelet transfusion, well then we end up having to give them medications before the platelet transfusion. So we might have to give them an antihistamine injection, you know, phenergan or phenergan. We might have to give them a steroid injection, a hydrocortisone injection, something like that. So they're called pre-medications. And patients who start to get reactions to platelets, so like I said, fevers, rashes, allergy, wheezing, etc., these patients can end up needing these 
pre-medications to be given every time they have a platelet transfusion. And so the more platelets you give to an individual patient, the greater the risk that you'll end up with this sort of a problem. The other thing that happens as patients get more and more platelets is that by developing this anti-foreign platelet reaction, it can actually then interfere with the survival of the transfused platelets. So instead of the transfused platelets lasting for three or four days in the bloodstream and keeping their platelet count up, you could end up with a situation where they destroy the new platelets too quickly and then the platelet transfusion just doesn't last as long. And this can be a real problem, particularly in patients who have a lot of platelets. You can end up with very poor platelet survival in these patients and so they may end up getting platelets you know, every day or every two days and that's a big problem. Eventually, sometimes we have to you know, specifically identify particular units of platelets according to these platelet blood groups. It gets all very technical to try to find platelets that will survive better in a given patient. So the more you throw around platelets at an individual patient, the more you risk that you're going to end up in this situation needing to give platelets more often, getting more reactions, having to find special platelet donors, and it becomes a real problem. Other problems with platelets? Well, an individual bag of platelets can, of course, get contaminated with bacteria. It is possible to get a bacterial infection from a platelet transfusion. I mean, blood banks are very careful with this thing. Keeping stuff sterile is core business for blood banks. They are meticulous. Nonetheless, there's always a risk that infection with bacteria can get into a bag of platelets. But the other one to consider is viral infections. Now, the blood banks test blood and platelet donors very stringently to check that they're not at risk of having some particular virus. So they're checking the blood and the patient for AIDS and for hepatitis B and hepatitis C and for all sorts of other things. Plus, they are screening patients for their lifestyle, screening patients' liver function tests sometimes. So all sorts of tests being done to try to avoid collecting blood from someone who might have a virus that then could be passed on to the patient via the blood donation. And if you talk to a given blood bank, they will have statistics to tell you, well, the risk of, say, passing on a certain hepatitis virus is one in, I don't know, 100,000, for instance. In a modern developed country blood donation program, the blood supply is generally very safe. The risk of viral infection being transmitted in these transfusions is considered very low. Having said that, it's not going to be zero. And plus, what if there's some virus we don't know about yet? This seems unlikely that it's going to be a big problem, but we're not to know. So we should err on the side of safety and therefore only give blood and platelets to people who really need them. And the medical data show us that you don't have to give platelets to patients whose platelet count is 70 or 50, all other things being equal, and so we shouldn't. So the reasons why we have to be a bit selective about who we give platelet transfusions to is firstly to be responsible to the donors, to the broader community, to the blood bank, to everyone else, And secondly, because it's in the patient's interest not to just get given platelets for no good reason. Next thing to mention is 
Well, what about cutting the chemotherapy dose? The whole problem is developing because of the chemotherapy, right? Well, if we find the platelet count goes really low, why don't we just cut the chemotherapy dose? Well, the problem with that is, remember, we're trying to cure cancer here. So you don't just cut chemotherapy doses lightly. You don't just go and do it because oftentimes the dose of chemotherapy is important to how well the chemotherapy might be expected to work in killing the cancer. Having said that, if the bone marrow suppression is extreme, there are often guidelines for dose modifications to chemotherapy. These are in most chemotherapy protocols, these dose modifications. You know, if the liver function tests do X, Y, Z, then you reduce drug A by 25%. Or if the blood counts go below a certain level and they don't recover by day 28, then you might decrease the chemotherapy doses. So there is sometimes scope to reduce the chemotherapy doses if the severity of bone marrow suppression is particularly severe. But it's not something just to do lightly. It should be done in very considered fashion. A couple more things to mention. One is that parents might think, well, can I donate platelets for my child? Well, most of the time, I would say that's unlikely to work very well. In fact, many blood banks don't really like directed donations. You know, friends and family who donate blood for a given patient they will often have data to indicate that the blood from those donors is no safer than the blood that's collected from the routine donors that are giving blood every day to the blood bank. So they wouldn't have any advantage in safety for the patient. The other thing is that often we need platelets at short notice. We can't always predict well ahead of time when we're going to need platelets. And often when we give platelets the amount of platelets that one person would give in a blood donation is nowhere near enough. Finally, we need parents to be looking after themselves, keeping in good health. They've got a lot on their plate. So most of the time, parents and friends donating platelets for a given patient isn't going to work very well. Now, there have been situations where people donate platelets not just by donating a blood unit, but by this thing called phoresis. Phoresis is that machine where you get needles stuck in your vein and your blood goes out your vein to the machine and the machine whizzes it and then the blood goes back into the other vein. So you have big needles in each vein in both arms and the whizzing machine is set to collect some particular cell fraction from the blood and yes you can collect platelets using this machine. So there are times when platelets have been collected using this particular phoresis machine. And this might be done, for instance, in those circumstances where we need a particular platelet donor who has an exact platelet group for a particular patient. And that might be in the situation of the patient who destroys everyone else's platelets. So there have been times when this phoresis process has been used to collect platelet donations. But that's mostly being done in very specific circumstances and it's not routinely available for friends and family who want to donate blood for a particular patient. So it's generally not really practical for 
friends and family to try to donate platelets for an individual patient. I wouldn't say it's never available and you'd have to check with your local service to see what's possible and what's not. By and large, it wouldn't be the usual thing for us to do and I wouldn't be pushing it myself. The next thing to say is that platelet transfusions are a critical component of our ability to treat children with cancer and leukaemia. The reason we can cure more children these days compared with earlier decades is because we can give strong chemotherapy and support the patients through it. And platelet transfusions are a critical component of our ability to do this. That's why blood donors are so vital to us. Because we have blood donors, then we can give platelet transfusions. And because we have reliable access to platelet transfusions, then we can give intensive chemotherapy and give ourselves the best chance to cure the cancer or leukemia. So platelet transfusions are a bit of a pain. They're a lot of work, and it's a big imposition for the poor child. But they are a critical component of our ability to give modern therapy for cancer and leukemia. Anyway, that's it for platelet transfusions. Again, platelet transfusions are used usually because of chemotherapy-induced suppression of the blood counts. Some units give platelets if the count drops below a magic number, 20 or 10. Some give platelets only if there's bleeding. And, of course, there are particular situations where we try to keep the platelet count higher than usual. Platelets are transfused through the central line and normally they last for about three days and then you might need platelets again or you might have recovered your platelet count by then. It's generally a pretty uneventful thing to drip in platelets, usually over about an hour. But some patients get allergic type reactions and need medication to prevent those reactions and platelets really are a critical component to our care. We need to be able to give platelets if we're going to give modern therapy. Thanks for tuning in today to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. I hope this has all made sense to you. Please leave any comments or questions at my Facebook page. You go to Facebook, you look for Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff, and then you can leave a comment or a question, and I'll try to come up with some sort of coherent answer for you. Now, in the meantime, if you go to the iTunes store, if that's where you're getting this podcast, remember to give me some stars there, you know, leave a review, give me some stars, something I can show my mother, that'd be nice. But otherwise, I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.